the teams you care about. The Patriots are absolutely a contender. They're not just in the conversation. They're in the VIP section at the party right now. The stories that matter to you. Ryan Davis is the reigning conference player of the year. Ben Shungu is the most important player to the Catamounts, bar none. This is your home for New England sports. The rest of the American League, as I told you, is not messing around. The Red Sox need to be ready to make some big moves. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? We finally, we third and goal, we got the intro down. TJ on the text line, that was for you. We'd screwed up the intro back-to-back days. First down, fumble. Second down, false start. Third down, we punched it in. The intro is back for the final show of the week. It is the Brady Farkas Show right here on DEV. Short-ish show today. We go up until 645. High school hoops then. Williamstown, Montpelier girls. We'll have it for you with Brent Curtis on the call. We have It's the day before the holiday. It's our last show of the week because we're off tomorrow. We're getting a little bit weird today. All around the country, sports radio stations are doing odd things today. They're ranking Christmas movies, and they're ranking Christmas snacks, and they're asking which president their favorite team wants. We're not going down that road. We're deviating a little bit, though. We are emptying out our Rolodex today. Two guests in an hour show, not really our style, but we're making an exception for the two guests that we've got. Former Bills center, the pro bowler, Eric Wood, is going to stop by the show in about 15 minutes to talk Bills and Patriots. Former UVM women's hockey player turned international ice hockey official, Chelsea Rappin, is going to stop by at 6.30. I've never spoken to her. This is a story I just learned about, that there is a former UVM women's hockey player who is refing now at, like, nearly Olympic level. And I'm like, wow, that's a cool story. We got her. She's coming on at about 6.30. But before I really get into anything, I got to tell you about what an absolutely moronic moment I had this morning. So my fiance and I, we're going to the Patriots game on January 2nd. Patriots and Jaguars, right? So not this upcoming Sunday against Buffalo, a week from Sunday. We bought the tickets from one of our listeners. One of our great listeners had tickets. We bought the tickets from them. So we're all pumped. We're going to the game. We're trying to figure out exactly how we want to handle it, right? Understand this. I can't stay overnight on the day of the game. I have to be back here early to work on Monday. So we have to get back here on Sunday. So that was never an option. So we kicked around all kinds of options. Did we want to drive up from Vermont to Foxborough on the day of the game and then come back? Well, we probably have to leave at 5 in the morning to do that. Not So that was out. My brother lives in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. We thought about kicking it with him for the night and cutting off the trip for a little bit. And we're like, eh, you know what? We'd still have to drive an hour and a half. We'd have to fight the traffic to Foxborough. We'd have to get there early, pay $60 to park. We don't have any friends there to tailgate with. So we didn't really want to do that. So I finally had the aha moment. So what we did is we booked a hotel in Massachusetts, about 45 minutes away from the stadium. They've got a, a, a train that goes directly from the hotel right to the stadium, get there at 1130, no parking payment, no hanging out in the cold for four hours. We get there at 1130 at the gate, walk in the stadium at noon, have a good time. That's the plan. I read you could buy these rail tickets, these train tickets, up to a week before the game. So I was just kind of messing around today online, not thinking of it. I'm like, okay, are we seven days away? Are we eight days away? Whatever. 
So I go on, and I'm just fooling around, and I buy the rail tickets. And I'm like, wow, that was easy, awesome, all set. I've got the app here. I've got the tickets. We're perfect. Then I look. I bought tickets for the game this Sunday. I bought rail tickets for the game this Sunday. Non-refundable rail tickets. So I have to call them up and be like, hey, I'm a moron. I wanted the January 2nd game. The January 2nd game you're not even eligible to buy yet. I bought the December 26th game. And the guy is like, dude, these are non-refundable. I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I got a little overzealous. So he puts me on hold for a while, comes back, nice dude. He's like, hey, pulled some strings. We got you the refund, but you're not going to get the money for 10 days. I'm like, whoa, 10 days. It's okay. The money's coming. It'll be here in 10 days. And then next week I could buy the tickets properly. But what a moron am I? Clearly the tickets state December 26th against Buffalo. But the, the, the tickets have been refunded. I'll get the money in a week and a half. I'll buy the proper tickets soon. We've got the plan for the Patriots game. I can't wait for it, and we'll be on our way. But that, that was my morning today, was being on hold with the uh, MBTA people trying to figure out how to get back my money from the improperly booked train ticket. If you want to get in, call me a moron, talk sports, whatever, 802-585-3026. That's the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802 585 3026. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. So we're gonna have Eric Wood on soon, right? The former Bills Center. We all we're gonna have him on. We said that he'll be with us at 545. And I'm very, very excited to talk with him. Sharp guy. He's appeared on the herd with Colin Cowherd. He does stuff for the Bills radio team. So he's really, really good. I've had him on once before. Before we get into the game with him, I gotta tell you. Really interesting stuff yesterday from Rodney Harrison, the Patriots Hall of Famer, the former safety. He was on WEEI in Boston. And the EEI guys asked him about Mac Jones and his relationship with the media. Because earlier this week, and I was hard on Mac for this, he cut off the you know Lou Maloney and Christian Fourier show on EEI and their question about the Colts. Then there was a report he didn't do the Manning cast when they were on ESPN and Monday night against the Bills. So... They asked him, like, what's up with Mac and the media? Here's what Rodney Harrison said. I think this is him letting everybody know that, hey, I'm a rookie quarterback, and it's a lot being a quarterback playing for Coach Belichick with all this microscope and all this scrutiny and, and 18 games and all the practices and COVID. It's a lot. So I think this is his way of telling people, look, I'm a little overwhelmed. I need to back up, and I think it's smart you know, to let people know that I'm a little overwhelmed. And basically, that's what he's letting you know. So Mac Jones, he thinks, is a little, um, he thinks is a little overwhelmed. First and foremost, let me clarify, I don't think Mac Jones is the one who nixed the Manning cast. I think the Patriots are the ones who nixed the Manning cast. So I don't think Mac said no. So I, I just want to clarify that. I'll defend Mac on that. I think that was a Patriots decision. As for the rest of it, though, about Mac being overwhelmed, I just don't have a lot of sympathy for that in this regard. You have to find a way to power through. You just do, and that might not be fair, and that might not be a reasonable expectation, but it is reality. You have to power through, and I don't want to hear that you're bogged down. I don't want to hear that you're overwhelmed. It might be human nature. It might even be understandable. 
but it's not an excuse. In athletics, the, everybody says it, next man up. It's all about rolling with the punches. It's all about adjusting on the fly, and it's about making things happen. Even if it's hard, you just have to do it. Mac Jones seems to have a good head on his shoulders. He seems to work very hard. He's been praised for how he processes things. He's been praised for how he handles things. And we've been told that he can always take on more from an information standpoint especially. And later in the season, things should be a little bit easier for him because he already at least knows his playbook. We've been we've heard about how methodical he is in his preparation. He's in bed at 8.30 and his girlfriend's in the yard with him running plays. He should have his processes down at this point. I don't feel bad for this. We're all overwhelmed. We're all under pressure. Whether you are a single mother of two, whether you are the, the owner of your own small business, whether you are working for a boss that you don't like, we're all dealing with something. I don't feel bad for Mac Jones in this regard. There is a lot of pressure. There is a lot of responsibility. That's what the position is. And by the way, Mac Jones went to Alabama. He's not coming from middle school. He can handle this stuff. He's trained. He's been working at this. He's played for a tough coach. He's played for a demanding coach. He's played for a team with high expectations. He's played for a national championship. He's played in winner-take-all situations. He's dealt with adversity where he wasn't the starter. He's played an entire college season in the most unknown portion of the pandemic. He's dealt with this stuff. He's dealt with intense media, with intense scrutiny, in a rabid fan base market before. I don't think that this is an excuse. We always say at this point of the year that guys aren't rookies anymore. Mac Jones is not a rookie at this point. He's got to just find a way. And if you want to talk about rookies in long seasons, etc., I look at Ben Roethlisberger, who won a Super Bowl as a rookie. He didn't start the whole year because he came in for Tommy Maddox, but Ben Roethlisberger came from Miami of Ohio and won a Super Bowl his rookie year. Russell Wilson got to the playoffs in his rookie year. Mark Sanchez got to an AFC championship game in his rookie year. Mark effing Sanchez. Andy Dalton, Andrew Luck, they got to the playoffs in their rookie year. Robert Griffin III, rookies do this all the time. Where they walk off the bus and they lead teams to the playoffs. Mac Jones can handle this. I'm surprised to hear Rodney Harrison say, oh, it's good that Mac needs to ease up a little bit. Really? Mac Jones is about as insulated as it gets because all Patriots are insulated. Mac is, has been preparing for these circumstances the last four years at Alabama. It might be human nature to be run down. It is not excusable, though. Not now. Not in the NFL. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. The guy who I bought the Patriots tickets from, I won't give out his name because I don't want you hitting him up for tickets. He says, I am laughing out loud now in my truck. Can't wait until the next time I see you. Yeah, well, you can call me an idiot too. Let's, let's see. Uh, 
Ah, Joe on the text line, 802-585-3026. Hate to be mean about it, but you're a typical Patriots fan. No brains. Ouch. In the Christmas holiday spirit, no brains, Joe says. Unfortunately, Joe spelled everything right because usually when somebody tells you have no brains, they're missing commas, apostrophes, and have letters in the wrong in the wrong spots. But Joe had it right, so I got to give him credit for that. And Joe, I'm a Patriots fan by work. I'm a Seahawks fan by life. Do I have brains for being a Seahawks fan, or does that make me even dumber? So if I tell you I'm a Seahawks fan, do I get to have brains again? But you're right. This morning I had no brains. In general, I think I do. Oh, he says he's a... He says he's a Finns fan, but he spelled Finns wrong. So there you go. I have no brains, and he spelled Finns wrong. Now we're having a little fun together, me and Joe. All right, Joe, I like you. I like you, even though it's the, even though you're a little mean to me, but I can take it. That's cool. That's cool with me. Right now, a guy who does have brains is uh, my friend Eric Wood. Eric Wood, the former Bills Pro Bowl center. He went to Princeton. He's got some brains, so he's going to join us next to get us ready for Pat's Bills in the big-time Week 16 matchup. That's next on DEV. 26. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Thursday, the day before Christmas Eve on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Dot com Patriots Bills that is the topic of conversation today Pats can win the division with a win and a Dolphins loss if they lose the Bills will overtake the Pats in the division for first place so certainly a lot on the line we're gonna have the broadcast for you at 10 a.m. on Sunday with the pregame show 1 p.m. with the kickoff and joining us now a guy who knows all about this rivalry it's former Bills center the pro bowler now part of the Bills broadcast team Eric Wood Eric how are you I'm doing great Brady thanks for having me on well I appreciate you being with us before we get in kind of the, the meat and potatoes of this matchup. I want to ask you just a couple of generic football questions. Mac Jones took a lot of grief regionally this past week for calling out the Patriots' practice habits before they lost to the Colts. As a guy who played, how do you view that situation? Is it shut up, rookie, know your place, or is it you're the quarterback, you're the leader, you have a right? Yeah, it's a little different when you're the quarterback because – you're generally the leader amongst the offense and generally the leader amongst the team. And so, um, you know, I have respect for Mac, and, and I'm not in that locker room. I don't know all the ins and outs, and they have tremendous leadership within that organization. But to me, if it's on your heart um, and, and you feel comfortable saying that uh, to the media, then that shows some leadership from him. And, you know, I, I think the guys will all have his back in that situation. Patriots ran it 40-plus times against the Bills the last time they played in that weird weather Monday night game. As an offensive lineman, as a guy who spends his whole life blocking, how would you feel about a 40-plus run game dynamic versus three passes? What's easier for you? What's more fun as a blocker? Definitely run blocking. You know, that's when you're the aggressor as opposed to when you're pass blocking, they get to take the fight to you. And so as an offensive lineman as well, really the only – kind of stats you have as an offensive lineman is how many sacks you give up or hits or pressure and when you run the football those no longer come into play so anytime you're able to dictate the game uh, with the ground game it's definitely more o-line friendly that's for sure 
You know, we heard last year with Cam Newton how tough the Patriots um, quarterback position is to play because of all the protections and checks you have to know. And Mac has gained a lot of praise for knowing that stuff and, and really making it look effortless at the line of scrimmage. As someone who played center and knows that communication pattern, how impressive is it what he's doing and what is it like you know, for the quarterback at the line of scrimmage working with you? It's extremely impressive, and it shows a lot of maturity from him, a lot of intelligence, and that was one of the things that made him so appealing in a first-round draft pick coming out of Alabama is how NFL-ready he was and how teams let him fall like he did in the draft down to 15th to New England. Now it's easy to say, wow, maybe we should have drafted him earlier, but when you look at him, he's got – you know, his physical tools are capable of the NFL, but just nothing that truly stands out. His edge comes in his preparation, his processing ability on the field, and that's on full display. And that transition into the NFL can be a tough one for a lot of guys because there's so much on your plate from a mental standpoint. So what he's been able to do in digesting this Josh McDaniels offense has been extremely impressive. And you got to give credit to their coaching staff in getting him ready for that. And then you know, like I said, I'm not in those situations, but I would imagine for him having a veteran center like David Andrews yeah. in front of him, you know, he can help him out in certain situations with protection checks. And and obviously they have a strong relationship because he's played well this year. You know, I think we'll probably see it two or three times on Sunday, but the Patriots are a very good screen team. They have been historically, right? Tom Brady to James White. This year it's Mac Jones, particularly to Brandon Bolden. And for the offensive linemen, kind of break down the screen. What are you looking for? How much time? You know, obviously the timing goes into it, but it seems like a very, very precision play. Yeah, there's timing within the play, and then there's timing of when you call it because you need the defensive line to be in a pass rush mode. I always uh, thought it was really smart how Tom Brady and the Patriots over the years, as soon as you would score and then the stadium's roaring in Buffalo and everyone's thinking, we got to get a sack and let's keep this going. That was exactly the time that they'd hit you with a screen and use your pass rush and use your momentum and aggressiveness against you. And so they've always been great with that over the years. Again, credit to Josh McDaniels for that. But as an offensive lineman, you know, initially you got to make it look like a pass and then you evade the blocker, get his momentum going up towards the quarterback, and then you release and uh, you got to release flat, obviously, because you can't get downfield on screens in the NFL. You could in college, which was hmm. uh, something I had to focus on when I first trans. I got called for an illegal man down the field my rookie year and didn't even know that was the rule <laughs> that you couldn't on screens go down the field uh, in the NFL. But then it's time to get out there and, and try and start wrecking some people. Eric Wood, former Bills Pro Bowl center with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, getting ready for Patriots Bills on Sunday. We'll have the coverage for you at 10 a.m. Looking at the Bills coming into this matchup, all the other outside noise aside, how big a loss is Cole Beasley on Sunday? He's a big loss because for Josh, he's been kind of his safety blanket over these last few years. I always say a young quarterback's best friend is the tight end. Well, for, uh, for Josh Allen, his best friend – the easiest target for him to hit over the years has been Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley is extremely smart. He sits well in zones. And then he also has the elusiveness, the quickness to beat man coverage, and he can get open quickly. So not having him out on the field uh, plays a role. And then Emmanuel Sanders has been limited this week in practice. We'll see if they're able to get him back as well. But, you know, Cole Beasley was an all-pro receiver last year in 2020. So being at, without – you know, your all-pro receiver definitely plays a factor in this matchup. 
you know, so much has been made about the Bills and their either inability or unwillingness to run the football. And the Bills have been called soft on both sides of the line right now. As an offensive lineman yourself, can you de- can you flip a switch and develop that snarl, or is it just something you have or you don't from the beginning of the season? Yeah, I mean, it's tough for me because this offensive line has been so jumbled throughout the season, whether it's been injuries or COVID. They benched Cody Ford, who they had starting at right guard to start the season. There's been so many combinations up front, especially with their offensive line. I think it's far from them being necessarily soft. It's a lot of moving parts, which has created a lack of continuity up front. And then when you don't commit to a run game as an offensive lineman, it's hard to you know, fit those blocks perfectly to open up those seams when you run the ball a lot, especially as the game goes on, it becomes easier to understand how the defense is attacking you, you know, what your footwork needs to be throughout the game. And so um, I think it's a combination of a lot of things uh, really making that run game ineffective for a majority of the season. But, you know, last week the Bills gave Devin Singletary 22 carries. Mm-hmm. And for the most part of the year, it's been running back by committee. It's Matt Breida, Zach Moss, and Devin Singletary. Well, last week, they gave Devin Singletary primarily all the carries. And so that, I think, allowed him to get in a flow as well. And so we'll see moving forward if it's just Devin Singletary as a guy or if that was a specific deal just for the Panthers. You know, we know, obviously, Stephon Diggs is going to be a huge focal point for the Patriots on defense. How about Josh Allen running the football? It's something we didn't see a lot the first matchup around, and I thought the Bills should have done a little bit more. How much of a threat is he in the run game this year? How much has he been a threat in the run game this year? He's definitely a factor. And when you look at Josh Allen over his career, when he came into the league, I don't think many people understood how good of an athlete he truly is at six foot five, two 245 pounds. And on the season, Josh has got – 555 rushing yards, four yep. touchdowns. And so, yes, I believe in the last game, maybe they should have ran the ball more with Josh. But as we saw in the Buccaneers game, you run Josh a little bit too much, you risk him getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Well, he he uh, sprained his foot against the Buccaneers and didn't rush nearly as much last week against the Panthers. We'll see what kind of shape that foot's in. But when you're going against the defense, uh, a defense like the Patriots have, one of the top in the NFL, if not the best defense in the entire NFL, you need to use all of your strengths. And one of the strengths for this Bills offense is Josh's ability to run the football, especially on third downs and in the red zone. And when you look at that last game against the Patriots, if the Bills score one more time in the red zone, then they win that football game. And so for Josh, he's such a weapon in the red zone. It would surprise me if their offensive coordinator, Brian Dayball, former Patriots guy, didn't use him a little bit more in the run game. But I think a lot of that just depends on if that foot is truly healthy. You know, I want to talk to you about playing in Foxborough because it was a couple years ago Pete Carroll said that uh, basically it's not that hard to play in Foxborough. The fans are pretty mellow there. Then I've heard about the Patriot aura, and I don't know if it's a Belichick aura or a Brady aura, or there's no such thing as an aura. What's it like to play in Foxborough from an opposition standpoint? I'll say this first off, and this doesn't quite answer your question, but I think that New England has the best soundtrack during a game of Mm. any team in the league. They have a great mix of like classic rock, hip hop, (laughs) whatever it may be. So one, the music's excellent. And uh, I would often have to find myself to like not kind of get into the music. We were getting (laughs) smoked up there. So I don't look like a clown on the sidelines having a good time when we're losing. But, uh, you know, I think the teams that the Patriots have fielded have made that home record what it is. And, man, it's truly impressive how many, especially AFC games, they've won over the years at home. Um, 
whether by coincidence or not, generally you have some type of communication headset issue when mm. you're the opposing team in New England. But while it's not one of the loudest, yes, it's not as loud as Seattle or maybe Buffalo or Kansas City, it's still loud enough that it forces you to go on a silent cadence throughout the game. And when you have to go on a silent cadence, that's the basically the – the hardest thing about fan noise. So while, yes, they're not maybe the loudest, they still play a factor. Eric Wood, former Bills center with us here on the Brady Farkas Show. We'll get you out of here on two questions, one serious, one not. I have been on this soapbox for like three years, so this is my opinion, and I won't, you know, you don't have to corroborate this, but I have said I would not hire Josh McDaniels as a head coach. Not because he doesn't know football, he clearly does, but I just don't see him as a guy who could motivate the locker room. Do people on the outside put too much stock in someone's ability to get the locker room riled up and motivated like a Dan Campbell's doing right now in Detroit? Do I put too much stock in that? You know, there's been a number of coaches that have done it so many different ways. I had Chan Gailey early in my career, and he would always say, if it's up to me to motivate you, then you're not the type of guy we want around here. Like We want guys that are naturally driven, and I think that's the case. But then the guys that can rally a team like a Dan Campbell, who you mentioned, um, you know, a, a Rex Ryan to kind yeah. of juice the guys up. Yeah, that plays a factor. But ultimately, when you get between those lines, you're not remembering the pregame speech. You're not remembering um, any motivation tactics that maybe you use throughout the week. You're falling back on your habits and the type of player that you are. And if you're a guy that lays it on the line every week, that's who you're going to be. Maybe after, you know, maybe maybe that pregame speech, maybe that hype up, maybe that lasts a play or two, maybe it lasts a series, but eventually you'll kind of fall back on your habits best christmas gift a quarterback ever gave the offensive line for you for me you know i didn't play with guys that were on monster deals throughout my career ryan fitzpatrick uh, he gave us ipads when they first (laughs) came out back in maybe 2010 kyle orton actually gave me the laptop we're recording this on right now (laughs) um and uh and so those are probably two that stand out in my mind i still have this huge yeti cooler that has ryan fitzpatrick's face on the side of it that he got us and i and he gave them to the jets offensive line as well maybe others so there's a whole bunch of o-linemen around the league that uh current and former players that have these big yeti coolers with fitz's face on the side of them (laughs) eric man we appreciate the time enjoy the game on sunday we'll talk to you again and happy holidays yep you too Ray. all right there goes eric wood pro bowl center Bills radio team. I, I like Eric Wood, man. I, he's, he's the rival this weekend, but I've always found him incredibly insightful and engaging and really enjoyed having him on the show today. I had him on, on on the old Patriots podcast I used to do. I've never even had him on this show. I've just had him on before. I've spoken with him before, and uh, he really is very, very bright and uh, does a great job with the Bills. So uh, it's going to be a fascinating game. It's going to be a fascinating game. Beasley not being there is a huge absence for Buffalo. And frankly, we don't know who's going to be there for the Patriots either. Nikhil Harry's dealing with a hip injury. Kendrick Bourne on the COVID list. Uh, Nelson Aguilar concussion protocol. We we don't know the Patriots aren't going to go into this game with just Gunnar Olszewski and Jacoby Myers and Trey Nixon and Christian Wilkerson coming up from the practice squad. We don't know who the Patriots are going to use at wide receiver. We don't know if they're even going to pass because they didn't pass last time. I don't know. I've got a prediction on the game. I'll give it to you in the next segment, and we'll do a mini six-pack 
of NFL questions as we get ready for the weekend. The Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM streaming at WDEVradio.com. It's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Reminder, high school basketball tonight, girls' side, Williamstown and Montpelier. We'll have the coverage for you. It's supposed to be at 645. If the JV game runs long beforehand, I'll keep it up a little bit later here today. But, again, scheduled for 645, Brent Curtis on the call. The full show podcast is available, as always, on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Just search for the Brady Farkas Show there. That is the best Christmas gift that you can give me is following our podcast channel in addition to listening live. All of our interviews are always posted there. All of our full shows are posted there as well. We're going to do our six-pack of NFL questions here momentarily, kind of a condensed version because we want to fit everything in today. We'll get to that shortly, but Pro Bowl rosters came out last night, the initial ones. Patriots are sending three players to the Pro Bowl. And Matthew Slater, Matt Judon, J.C. Jackson, those are the selections. I really can't quibble with any of the decisions. But understand this. I don't care one rip about the Pro Bowl. There are radio stations around the country that are talking about Pro Bowl snubs like all day today. I have no interest in doing that. So I make it a note of it in passing that I think in the Patriots' case, it was largely done right. I mean, Slater's going to his 10th Pro Bowl. He's a stalwart. He's awesome. Judon's got 12 and a half sacks. He's been great this year. And Jackson has been one of the best defensive backs in the NFL. I have no problem, certainly, with those three making it. And as for Patriots that, that you think got snubbed, Nick Folks had a great year. Justin Tucker beat him. Justin Tucker's better. Can't complain about that. One kicker spot. Hunter Henry's had a very good year. He's got nine touchdowns, I believe. Well, Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey are the two best tight ends in the game. I can't do anything about that either. So no no quibbling from me, no banging for the drum here saying the Patriots got snubbed. I do think what this goes to show you, though, the fact that the Patriots are this good, nine wins, maybe can clinch a division title this weekend. They're this good. And they only have three Pro Bowlers. I think what that says that this Patriots team, and it's cliche, is that they truly are a team. They are a team built on just solid all-around play. They aren't built around just a few guys. There are teams that that are sending five and six guys to the Pro Bowl that aren't as good as the Patriots. Why? Because they have those guys and not a lot else. The Patriots have real depth. I'm not stupid. I understand that it becomes easier when you have stars. I wouldn't turn away a Justin Jefferson or a Cooper Cup or a Patrick Mahomes. I want those guys just like you do. But what has made the Patriots so good this year is their chemistry, their sacrifice, their willingness to sacrifice, and their ability to play as a team and to play for the betterment of the team. This year, most years in the NFL, you need stars. This year, this Patriots team doesn't really, hasn't really needed them. They've had guys that have played like stars, no doubt, but they don't need the big name. There are guys on this team that are willing to sacrifice for each other, 
And that has been one of the biggest joys of this Patriots season. All right, let's get to our six-pack of NFL questions. We do that every single, usually Friday on the Brady Farkas Show. But because we don't have a show tomorrow because of the holiday, we will get you them today. So let's get the music here going, everybody. Uh, Steve says, you are stupid according to the Finns fan. I just said, okay, I'm not stupid. Well, Steve says, yeah, that other guy said you were. That was Joe who is the Finns fan, and I could argue that Joe, being a Finns fan, doesn't make him the sharpest tool in the shed, at least over the last 15, 20 years. But I kid, Joe. I kid. You've been a good sport, so having a little fun here. I'm a Mariners fan. They have been in the playoffs in 20 years. That's pretty stupid. So maybe I am, maybe I am dumb. Maybe I am stupid. So g- crew, let's cue the music here, please. All right, let's get to it. Our six-pack of NFL questions. The music's still 16 weeks in now. Gets me just so unbelievably hyped up. First question, big voice guy. The best game of the NFL weekend is... Best game of the NFL weekend. I wanted to go with Patriots and Bills. I decided against it because I have to go with, surprisingly, Ravens at Bengals. Ravens at Bengals out of the AFC North. Look, we don't know... If Lamar Jackson's going to play, he missed practice yet again today. The last report I saw said they're taking it day by day with him. But at the end of the day, with or without Lamar Jackson, this game has a ton of meaning. Both teams are 8-6. and six. Whoever wins this game is officially in first place in a division where everything is tight. Cleveland 7-7, seven and seven, and they're in last place. Whoever wins this game has control of first place. The Bengals are one of the darling teams in the NFL this year. They picked number one in the draft just a season ago. They were in the top five again this year. Think about that. Think about how quick it can turn in the NFL. The Cincinnati Bengals and the pandemic draft were picking number one, and they took Joe Burrow. Then this year, top five, they took Jamar Chase, the wide receiver, his buddy, out of LSU. They were that bad two years ago. They were that bad a year ago, and Burrow got hurt. And this year, they are in a position to be controlling a division heading into Week 17. Who would have thunk it? The beauty of the NFL. But can Burrow and company close out the season in order to get to the playoffs? They'll have to go through the Ravens this week in order to do it. They've already beaten the Ravens this year. They killed the Ravens by 24 points back in Week 7. Can they win again a good team the the Bengals right now are a fun team they're an interesting team they're a turnaround team and they're a team that's beaten up so far on a last place schedule can they close out the division can they close out a playoff spot can this young team do that I think this is going to be a fascinating game. Jamar Chase had 200 yards receiving the last time these teams met. If Jackson plays, how effective will he be? If he doesn't play, uh, you know, uh, Huntley was great last week against Green Bay. Is it going to come down again to a John Harbaugh coaching decision? I don't know. I think this game is going to be excellent on Sunday. Bengals, Ravens in Baltimore. Oh, no, I'm sorry. In Cincy. I think that's going to be a fascinating game. The game that intrigues us most is... That last game would have intrigued me most if not for this game. This game, Colts at Cardinals on Christmas night. 
8-15 Christmas night, second consecutive week the Colts are playing on Saturday night. This one is going to be fascinating too because it's a classic case of how does each team respond. The Colts are coming off their biggest win of the season against the Patriots. How do they follow it up? The Cardinals are coming off the worst loss of the entire NFL season, losing at the Lions. How do they respond? Like, Bills losing to Jacksonville, awful. Bengals losing to the Jets, awful. Titans losing to the Jets, awful. No loss in the league was worse this year than the Cardinals getting beat by 18 on the road at the Lions. Who follows up their performance better? Can the Colts... The Colts last week maybe played their Super Bowl by beating the Patriots at home. Can they go on the road on Christmas night in a weird time slot on a weird day and can they beat a team that's battling it out in the NFC for the top seed? Can they follow it up? Two great wins in a row. I don't know. Are the Cardinals who they looked like for the first seven weeks? They were the last unbeaten team in the NFL this year. And now they're one and two since Kyler Murray came back from his ankle injury. They've looked better at times with Colt McCoy playing than with Kyler Murray back. They lost to the Lions. They lost to the Rams. Who are the Cardinals? Are they the team from the first seven weeks, or are they this new team that's just a big-time underachiever? The Cardinals clinch a playoff spot with a win. They've lost three straight home games. This game is fascinating. The Colts can stay in the division race. They need help to stay alive in the NFC South. There's questions about Carson Wentz, how much they can continue to rely on the run. We'll see. Jonathan Taylor's got 11 straight games with a touchdown, the longest streak in the league since 04-05. The Colts are winless this year when Taylor doesn't rush for a touchdown. They're going to have to get him going. The Cardinals know that. Can they put this game on Carson Wentz's shoulders? This game has a little bit of everything. Whereas this game... The Bar Rescue Game of the Week is... Bar Rescue Game of the Week, worst game of the NFL weekend, a.k.a. this game has nothing. Who is that? I don't even need to say a whole lot. I told you it was going to be a condensed version of the six-pack of NFL questions. This is why. Nothing needs to be said. Bar Rescue Game of the Week. Jags at Jets. Ugh. Wait, is this 2-12 against 3-11? I'm out. This... We get to see the number one pick of the draft against number two, Trevor Lawrence against Zach Wilson. That's it. We also get to see a race to the bottom for the number one pick of the draft. The Lions are around there too. But, ugh. Jags at Jets. No thank you. Next question. The player we want to watch most this week is... Player I want to watch most this week, that's Kirk Cousins, Vikings quarterback. They are at home. They're taking on the Rams. And Kirk Cousins is going to have to play without his favorite weapon, running back Dalvin Cook. This game is interesting for a bunch of different reasons, too. The Vikings are 7-7. They need a win in the worst possible way. They need a win to keep pace in that crowded and convoluted NFC playoff picture where they're, you know, battling it out for the 7th seed. Vikings need a win. Logic tells you that they'll have an advantage in this one. One, they're playing at home. Two, they're playing a Rams team that just played on Tuesday and now we're on a short week. This is a situation where Kirk Cousins needs to earn his $30 million a year. But can he do it? I don't know. I've never been a Kirk Cousins fan. In doing research on Kirk Cousins, I found out he absolutely torches teams that play man-to-man coverage. Well, guess what? 
The Rams don't play man-to-man coverage very often. They play the second-most zone in the NFL. Can Kirk Cousins find a way to get over his bugaboo without Dalvin Cook? So the Rams are going to play a bunch of zone. Kirk doesn't do well against that. The Vikings are a run-first team. They don't have one of the top running backs in the league in Dalvin Cook. This game is on you, big boy. You're at home. They're on a short week. You need a win. Go out and prove that you're worth $30 million a year. Everybody tells me how great Kirk Cousins is. I don't know. I don't buy it. I haven't bought it for years. If you're that good, go out and show me on Sunday at home against the Rams, a team with 10 wins that's going to the playoffs. The player with the most pressure this week is... Matt Ryan. I haven't spoken about Matt Ryan all year. Even when the Patriots played the Falcons, I don't think we talked about Matt Ryan. He has been that kind of insignificant to me this year. The Falcons have been that insignificant to me this year. But here they are, 6-8. and eight. They are also battling for that final NFC playoff picture. They're playing the Lions. The Lions, can they follow up their win against the Cardinals and and keep going? Now, Jared Goff has COVID, so Tim Boyle might be starting. That would be a major loss for the Lions there. Matt Ryan, can you win at home against the worst team in the NFL? I guess now second worst team in the NFL because Jacksonville's the worst. So can you win against the second worst team in the NFL? Can you win against them without their starting quarterback probably? And can you do what you're supposed to do? Matt Ryan's another $30 million a year quarterback. His team is 6-8. and eight. You've got to win this game. You've got to win this game. It's a first-year head coach. They're going to make a decision on you after the season. Do you want to stay in Atlanta? Are you worth something to somebody else? You're not going to be worth anything to anybody if you lose at home to the Lions. Question number six, final question, big voice guy. The most amazing NFL stat of the weekend is... I'm genuinely bothered by this one. The ESPN Football Power Index has the Bills as a greater than 50% chance to beat the Patriots. That bothers me. The Bills have a... Now, on the betting line, the Patriots are the favorites, like minus two and a half. Pats are the favorite in Vegas, but the Bills are the favorite according to the ESPN uh, Football Power Index. I understand that math is unbiased, but... I see the Patriots are at home. I see the Patriots are motivated coming off a loss. And I see the Patriots as a team that will be able to correct their issues from last week. I think the Patriots deserve to be betting favorites. And I think whatever formula the football power index is, is wrong. The Buffalo Bills don't have Cole Beasley. They don't run the ball that well. Josh Allen has not played well historically against Bill Belichick, save for last year in a weird 38-9 game on Monday Night Football in which the Patriots were out of it and awful. The Bills have allowed the second most rush yards in the NFL since week 11. I think the Patriots are going to win this game. I am bullish on the Patriots. They are a good team. I think it's going to be lower scoring. I'll say 20 I'll say 24 to 20 that the Patriots win this game. But I think they win it. Josh Allen will make a mistake. I'm not saying it's going to be catastrophic, but he will make one more one more mistake here that the Patriots can capitalize on. Patriots are better on special teams. Patriots run the ball better. Patriots, you know, the, the weaknesses line up to favor the Patriots. The Patriots are right now in, in trouble at wide receiver with injuries and COVID with Kendrick Bourne. They can default to the run game, which is their strength. 
the Bills, they don't run the ball at all. Well, now to be out without Cole Beasley, you can't just easily default to the pass game, and Emmanuel Sanders has been banged up too. I think the Patriots win this game. Josh Allen needs to run the football, and I would say he needs to run it more than six or seven times in order for the Bills to have a chance to win this game. He's got to be a huge part of the ground attack for them. I think the Patriots find a way, though, to uh, I think the Patriots find a way to get the win. All right, that's it for our six-pack of NFL questions, our mini six-pack of NFL questions. Now we do this every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, which is Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at only $20 a month, and for a free car wash, all the listeners just need to text the word Vermont to the number 34 so 30 four, zero, zero. UVM men's basketball beat Colgate last night, yesterday afternoon, actually, at Patrick Gym. You know this because we talked about it yesterday. Reserve guard Aaron Deloney led the way with 18 points in 18 minutes off the bench. Unbelievable afternoon for him. A guy who really didn't play much or score at all in the previous Catamount games. 18 points in 18 minutes after the game last night. He spoke about, uh, you know, kind of just his mindset. It feels great. That's what our team is about, the next man up. When one guy goes down, uh, the next man just has to be ready. And uh, like you said, in practice, my teammates and coaches know what I'm capable of. Uh, and so when I get out there, I play with nothing but confidence, and I was able to do that tonight. So he filled in for Robin Duncan. That's what he's talking about, and kind of one guy goes down. But I really like, in general, that post-game exchange because this is a good story of perseverance. It's a good story for Aaron Deloney of making the most of an opportunity. And look, take it from a guy who spent a lot of time on the bench, right? I played basketball. I didn't play a ton. I played baseball. That was my sport. And look, I played, but you have to wait a long time in between opportunities in baseball. You pitch on Saturday. You got to wait till the next Saturday to pitch. You go in, you're in relief on Sunday. You got to wait till maybe Wednesday to get back in. It's hard when you have a lot of waiting and you're not quite sure if your name is going to be called on. It's not easy to do that. And it's not easy to stay ready mentally and physically. And Aaron Deloney, to his credit, did that. I don't know if he can replicate that. I don't know if he can score 18 points in 18 minutes again. I don't know if he'll hit double figures the rest of the night, the rest of the year. But I do know that that right there yesterday is a really cool thing. A story of perseverance, a story of mental toughness, a story of preparedness, a story of just making the most of an opportunity. Aaron Deloney is from Oregon. He's from 3,000 miles away. So not only is he from far away, he's doing it during COVID and it's hard to get home, etc. It's hard when you don't have a support system near you. And he found a way to do it. And I think that that is a great testament to him. We said at the beginning of the year that Deloney was scoring a bunch in the preseason. We didn't think that that was going to translate because we didn't think the minutes were going to be there. They haven't been there so far. They were there yesterday, and he made the most of it. 
And that is a great lesson and a great testament. So, and I like when talk about, you know, his own confidence. Look, when I get out there, I play with confidence. He sent a little message to the coaching staff like, hey, don't forget about me. Uh, good on you all around. UVM back in action on December 2nd when they take on Albany. That's the first game, or uh, January 2nd, rather. That is the first game of conference play for the Catamounts. So, And it'll be, Great Danes are interesting. They're not particularly good this year. they got a new head coach in Dwayne Killings. Will Brown is gone. Um, they've done some good things. They beat Boston College. They've also lost a bunch of other games. UVM should win that game, I would say, fairly easily. It should be one of the more comfortable America East wins for them. But you Albany comes in with a, you know, with an attitude, with an edge, with an underdog mentality. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, brought to you by Pro Driver Training. Pro Driver Training is Vermont's premier truck driver training school. Online at prodrivercdl.com. If you want to take the next step in your career, well then. Pro Driver Training can be the spot for you. Our next guest on the other side of the break, someone I've never spoken to. How did she get from UVM women's hockey to refing at almost an Olympic level? Chelsea Rapid. She's going to join us next on DEV. The Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and streaming always at WDEVradio.com. Day before Christmas Eve, so I'm kind of just busting out the guest list today. Eric Wood, former Bills offensive lineman, was on a little while ago. Now we're going to someone with some more local ties. I'm very, very excited about this story, though. Her name is Chelsea Rappin. She lives in Vermont. She's a former UVM women's hockey standout. She also, I believe, works at the UVM Medical Center in the uh, area of physical therapy. She's also an ice hockey official on the international stage. She's done women's world championships. She did the D3 Frozen Four. So all kinds of stuff I want to ask about. Chelsea, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you being with us. I guess my first question is this. How do you find time to referee on the international stage working a traditional day job that is also incredibly challenging and time-consuming in its own right? Well, I've got an amazing um, employees and an employer that allow me to take off time to be able to go overseas and work internationally along with most of the events happen on the weekends. So that kind of works into my schedule. I work Monday through Thursday. I take Fridays off so I can have an extra day of um, work, work, yeah. part-time work as a referee. And then I have Saturday and Sunday. You know, as a player, you know this, obviously, if you want to get better, you can commit to it, practice, 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 practice. As an official where the schedules are irregular and you have, you know, an actual other life to deal with, how do you find time to improve your craft and what do you do to improve your craft? Well, part of it is conditioning. So, you know, working out in the mornings before work even starts or after work, depending on the day for me, is important to stay in shape because um, you're competing against some of the top, top, top um, officials in the country. Just from a, that standpoint here in the U.S., we have a ton of officials. So 
the conditioning is a huge part of it, but then also being on the ice with the players who are competing and practicing every single day. So you have to make sure that you're on your game despite not being in the ice or on the ice um, every single day like they are. Do you do local games, high school games, club games just to stay in practice? Do you watch NHL games and mute the television and make calls alongside the officials in real time? What do you do on your own? I mean, I I do some youth. I do some high school locally. Uh, This year is a little different just because of the travel schedule. I do a lot of college, Division three and Division one. So um, Division three tends to happen during the week, and then Division one is pretty much on the weekend. And then I do pro women stuff on the weekend. So I don't get a whole lot of time to watch NHL, but <laughs> if I do get to watch a game, yeah, it's always interesting to see what they're calling out there as well, because their rule book is a little bit different um, than the college rule book. But the IHF rule book actually has kind of shifted over to the NHL rule book, <laughs> which has been very beneficial. So you can watch the game and and kind of had the same similar calls or similar rules that they have now. I played college baseball. There comes a point where every player realizes they either can't or don't want to play anymore. When did the decision come for you to say, you know what, I want to be an official? Because you did some coaching too, so you had been in the game before. Why, why officiating versus coaching versus still trying to play? Well, I wanted to give back to the game, and I think by coaching or officiating, you're giving back a little bit more than yourself playing. Um, when I was going to school to get my doctorate, I needed you know, a part-time job, so it easily made sense to go on ref and skate on the ice that I grew up <laughs> doing, and it was just an easy transition to make that my part-time job. So I think that's part of the, the kind of transition. Yeah, I... I I graduated. I was done with my four years of collegiate play, but there was still something more that I wanted to get from ice hockey itself. Chelsea Rappin joining us here on the Brady Farkas Show, former UVM women's hockey player, now an official on the international stage. How do you get chosen to to do some of these high-level international tournaments? I presume you're being graded in games that you do, and you have to win these spots. Is that right? Yeah, we get evaluated, and you obviously compete against most officials from your country to move on to next steps or next tournaments. And then when you're at the tournament itself, you compete against officials across the world for the those top level games say bronze medal or gold medal game in that championship or if it's a relegation play down game that's those are equally as important because those teams will now go down a level instead of staying at the level that they are currently at which means different funds for those teams so those those games are just as equally as important sometimes as the bronze medal or the gold medal game let me ask what is probably going to come off as a stupid joke question but i've always wondered this you are doing an international game, and it's between Russia and Sweden. How do you handle the language barrier when you're trying to talk to a coach or to a player? I get everybody speaks hockey language to some degree, but how do you handle a language barrier? Well, most most teams speak English. English is the you know preferred language in the IIHF, so it, it helps, luckily, that that's the the equal medium for me. Um, mm. The only situation that I've been in is I was on the ice with North Korea and against South Korea, and none of the North Korean players knew 
a lick of English. So you mm. had to use your signals. You had to point in directions. Um, you had I had to speak through a translator to the head coach, wow. which was a really really interesting experience. So there's there's systems in play. Yes, you're right. It's an equal language for hockey, and all the all the signals are the same. But to get them to line up on the right side of the ice or outside of the circle is definitely challenging to tell them where to where to stand. You know, you and I graduated college the same year, so we're about the you know we're roughly the same age. You grow up watching sports, and the athletes are older than you, and they're your idols. We're at the age now where athletes are our legitimate peers guys you people you played against people you might have played with i think you probably did games for amanda pelkey on team usa who was your teammate at uvm if i'm remembering correctly like when you have relationships or at least a knowledge of the people you're officiating how do you keep any potential bias out of it it's definitely difficult but you i mean just as the u.s i played against a lot of the canadian players as well yeah. at bu poolin played when i was playing at uvm um so i i've seen a lot of these people i grew up playing against them so i feel like it's more of a camaraderie throughout not necessarily only the u.s players but the canadian players um and even even across the different countries like sweden and finn right like i see a lot of these players in the college league so mm-hmm. i've grown to know them and they've learned how i ref and i've learned how they've played so it kind of goes you know back and forth let's talk now off the officiating stuff at uvm you were you were on the team during some lean years record wise take this from a guy who who's baseball team went one in 17 in conference play his junior year so i know what it's like but when you think about how the program has grown, they just beat Boston College um, a couple weeks ago. What is it like for you from afar to see the program grow? I mean, it's huge. I, I obviously grew up um, watching different college place, er, colleges, and UVM has always been one of my favorites. But, um, you know, BC is a huge, huge rival for them. So that that's a, a huge win in their books. Um, but you know, each year they seem to get better and better. Um, so I've been following them for a while and you're right. They've, the program has grown tremendously over the past, you know, 20 years here. And I think that goes to say with like all colleges though, you you look at the BCs and BCs has grown significantly. BU has grown significantly in 20 years. I think just the level of hockey and skill has grown significantly. So it's, it's, it's very interesting to watch. Um, and I am really proud to be part of it on the officiating side. Um, so I, I, it's been great. You know, I always ask this question of coaches, and I recently had Sophie LeClerc on from Norwich University. I asked her this question. Um, I feel like you are uniquely qualified to answer it, too. How much has the women's game grown? As someone who travels the world, as someone who sees colleges all across the region especially, how much has the women's game grown in terms of just depth of talent? Significant. And on the officiating side, they used to have one referee and two linesmen Hmm. to skate the game. And now we have two referees and two linesmen skating the game. I unfortunately, in the most recent game, had to actually work the one and two for about five (laughs) minutes. And it's hard. I can't imagine doing that system with the level of hockey that they have right now for a whole game. It would be 
very, very difficult. So the skill level, the speed level, um, the intensity, and and even off ice, like this, the ability to be able to you know improve their game through the workouts, it's it's grown massively uh, as knowledge of just how to train and when to train and how to make it similar to on ice when they can't be on the ice, especially during COVID, right? So yeah. we haven't seen much of a drop off. So I'm really, really really surprised about that as well because they took a whole year off of not really doing much well certainly great to see the game grow and it's continuing to grow now at every level and it's good for the sport so chelsea rapin former uvm women's hockey player official now on the international circuit and uh, as you continue to grow we'll continue to follow your career and look forward to talking to you again thanks so much for the time and happy holidays thanks you too absolutely chelsea rapin with us i wish all of you a happy holidays as well. Thank you to everybody for the support of the Brady Farkas Show. Keep listening to WDEV. I'm off tomorrow. Patriots football on Sunday, 10 a.m. pregame, 1 p.m. kickoff. High school basketball with Brent Curtis is coming up next. Montpelier and Williamstown girls from the capital city. I'll see you on Monday again. Merry Christmas, everybody, on DEV.